What's up, everybody? How you doing tonight? Everybody good? Hey, I know you just got done punching each other, but why don't you uh, look to your neighbor, give him a high five, a hug, a kiss, whatever is appropriate. Just be on guard. We do have security in the aisles. Um, hey, do we have any first-time guests here? Any, anybody here for the first time checking us out? Awesome. We want to say welcome. I want to say thanks for coming out tonight. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. We appreciate that. Shout out to Jay-Z. Anybody? Just me. Okay. Um, all right. So we are in our final week of our series, What is to Come? And if it's your first time here or if you've missed the past couple of weeks, I'm just going to give you a very quick drive-by. You would do yourself a major favor if you were to go to YouTube and watch the, uh, the sermons from the past couple weeks. But uh, in the first week, Jess talked about setting our gaze, setting our face like flint towards the promises of God, towards the promises of heaven. And in week two, Doug talked about how Jesus is actually coming back for his people and how it might be sooner than we might expect. And so to be on guard and to be ready and to be looking forward to and anticipating that day. And tonight, as we wrap up this series, I want to add to that conversation of eternity and what is to come. And, and my goal tonight, my hope tonight, is, is to empower us to run our race on this earth now in light of eternity and let eternity empower how we run our race. How eternity isn't something that we should be afraid of or scared of, but it is something in the heart of a Christian that should actually empower us to run a race with reckless abandon, going after everything that God has promised us, taking hold of every promise and the salvation that only comes through Jesus. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to go to two separate places. We're getting pretty spiritual tonight. We're going to go to uh, Revelation chapter 20 near the very end of your Bible, Revelation chapter 20, and we're going to go to 1 John chapter 4. And uh, before we jump into Revelation 20, I kind of want to give a disclaimer. I want to kind of give um, a heads up, a context about what we're going to be reading about. Um, we are about to read about two very different but very real eternal states after this life. We are about to read about a situation where there will be eternal peace and there will be no more tears and there will be no more pain. And, and the Bible says that it'll be a, a city made of gold so pure that you can actually see through it. And there's gonna be no more sin, no more death. Um, death has lost. And, and that city is gonna be a place where we dwell with Jesus forever. And that place we're about to read about is what we have come to know as heaven. We're also going to read about a reality of an eternal state separated from the free gift of grace of Jesus. We're going to read about a state uh, of eternal separation from the free gift that is available to anybody to embrace the love that Jesus has for you. And so these are two very real states of eternity. And before we kind of get nervous or weird about this, um, I just want to say up front from the top, I honestly believe that in the Bible, God never gave us 
um, th- these, these descriptions, these, these stories of, of what eternity is going to be like to scare us. I honestly believe that eternity was never uh, explained to us in what small capacity we know about it to evoke a spirit of fear in our heart. I don't believe eternity was meant to, to evoke fear. And I know that a lot of maybe churches in the past or friends in the past, maybe with good or bad intentions, have used this reality of an eternity separated from Jesus as like a reckless form of evangelism, like a Turner burn mentality, like to scare people into accepting a relationship with Jesus. But I honestly believe that was never God's intention in giving us a glimpse of what eternity is going to be like. But what I do think is that in light of these two very real eternities, I believe that God gave us a glimpse of them as almost a sort of sobering moment for our souls. Not fear, not, not, not anything to paralyze us with fear, but a moment of sobriety for our soul, that our soul can exhale for a minute and contemplate the reality that this life isn't everything that we're gonna experience. And so as we read about heaven, and as we read about what's to come as Jesus returns, and it should fill the heart of a believer in Jesus with faith and with expectancy and with hope and with joy and not with a sense of fear or anxiety. And so let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Um, We're going to read Revelation 20, verse 11 through 21, 8. So buckle up. We're reading a little bit here. And it's going to be on the screen, okay? We all there? Are we ready to look at the screen? Awesome. No one responded, but Jesse Davis. So she's ready. All right, here we go. Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11, it says this. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. All right. Don't cry already. Okay, here we go. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. This is Jesus we're reading about. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is, in fact, the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. But then I saw a new heaven, and I saw a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth. They had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I love that because I love the ocean, and I really hope, I pray that there is an ocean or a sea in heaven. But in the Bible, a lot of times, kind of metaphorically, ocean, seas, bodies of water represented confusion. They represented turmoil. And so I don't know if he's saying there's literally no sea, but what he is saying is, when I saw this, there was no more confusion and there was no more turmoil. It was awesome. I saw this holy city, this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, this is awesome. God's dwelling place and his fullness is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain. This is awesome for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making 
everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they are true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. To those who are victorious, they will inherit all of this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But to the cowardly, unbelieving, vile, murderous, sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, adulterers and liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. All right, let's pray and wrap this up. We're done. I'm kidding. Kidding. I wanted to start off with some light reading before we jumped in. So we read about these two realities, these two eternal states that are very real, that there's something going on behind the scenes from what we can't see, but they're there. And God has prepared a place called heaven for his people. But we read and right now, I don't know if you can feel this tension. There's this tension of this reality of a separation from God that is just as real as heaven. But this is what I love about the Bible because I know like when I was talking, you're like, I thought this reality wasn't supposed to evoke fear and this sounds pretty terrifying. Um, and so what I love so much about God is that he assures us that because of Jesus, we do not have to fear this. And I wanna to go to 1 John chapter four and it says this. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Our God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is per a love perfected with us. I love this. Think about this. Think about this in light of what we just read. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. I love this because what God is saying is, yes, there are very two real eternal realities that we are going to face. But when when God, who is love, and Jesus, who is the personification of love, poured his blood out on the cross. We no longer have to live in fear. We no longer have to live in a sense of dread of, of eternity. The Bible says that we can stand confident in the day of judgment, in the day that will come in Revelation that we just read. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to sweat it. We can be confident before the presence of God because of what Jesus has done for us. Guys, we're five minutes in and we're cooking. This is getting good. It says this, we may have confidence in the day of judgment because get this, this is insane, but this is how God views us. As he is, so are we in this world. Jesus perfected, seated at the right hand of the Father, has perfected us. He has made us perfect though we're still being sanctified, Hebrews 12 says. And get this, there is now no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so tonight, before we pray, the title of my message is this, Empowered by Eternity. Look to your neighbor and say, Empowered by Eternity. Can we pray together? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. And God, we're not even gonna pretend like we didn't just read some pretty heavy stuff about the reality of an eternity with you and a reality of an eternity separated from you. But this is what I love so much about you, Jesus, is that you told us that we don't have to fear. We don't have to have anxiety or worry about that because we can stand confidently in our place with you because of what Jesus has done for us.
And so, God, I pray right now as we talk a little more about how eternity was never made to scare us or strike fear into our heart, but it was made to empower a life of boldness for the believer. God, I pray that if anybody comes in here with any type of scars um, concerning somebody maybe damning them to a life, uh, an eternity separated from Jesus for something that they've done, God, I pray that your grace and your mercy would heal those wounds and that we could get a correct perspective on what you want us, how you want us to view eternity. And so Jesus, I love you so much. We agree that your spirit is here and we're expecting amazing things from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, guys, so I was one of those kids growing up who like grew up in church. I took more naps in pews than I've ever taken in my entire life. I went to church eight days a week. Like, I really mean that. Uh, growing up in church, there was a Sunday morning service where the pastor would give up and get, uh, get up and give a message. Probably felt like giving up sometimes because he, uh, Viridian slip. No, I'm kidding. Um, but then Sunday night, he would get up and, and give a totally different message. And then Wednesday, there was youth. Tuesday, there was like a prayer meeting that also was another message. And so I felt like every single day I was in church. And I know a lot of people um, that I've talked to that I've invited to church, they've kind of been like, man, I don't know. Church isn't for me. I have a lot of baggage. And I don't know if, if somebody in a church, I don't know if somebody would accept me with all the baggage that I have. Well, I would argue that I also have a lot of baggage. And that comes from growing up in church. So... <laughs> Level playing field, like we're all even here. Um, but I grew up in an area where once a year for about a week, uh, there would be a group of churches that would get together and they would kind of come together and they would put on this play. They would put on this production and this production was made to be a form of outreach and evangelism to our city. And so this wasn't like a little thing. Like there was like a giant campaign kind of put behind this. Money was saved for it. Uh, flyers were given out. Um, and, and our pastors would get up and be like, you need to invite your friends. You need to invite your family. You need to invite kids. Go into your schools and invite your teachers and you invite your friends too and parents, whatever ball games your kids are at, invite the coach, invite everyone and people would actually come and it would, and the church was like packed out and they would do this, they'd do about one play a night, Monday through Friday and then Saturday and Sunday they'd do like two at night and so this, this outreach tool brought a lot of people in. The only problem with it was this play was based around what we have just read in Revelation 20 and 21, the judgment of all humanity and all mankind. Hey, come to my play. You'll love it. You know, like pretty heavy stuff. And literally on this play, I remember so distinctly, this side of the stage, there was a giant arch and uh, it was white and it had gold and this beautiful gate and there were angels that stood there and right kind of to the side of the archway there was a, a choir of angels and they were beautiful all dressed in white and they shined like heavy lights up on it so it looked really bright and you kind of move more towards the center of the stage and there was this giant angel with a podium like kind of like this and it would just kind of stand there like dead serious like looking out at people and, um, and it had a giant book with it, which was representing the book of life, which we read about, heavy stuff, you know. And then on this side of the stage, there was also an archway, but it happened to be red. 
And there happened to be paper mache flames being like shot up from it with fans. And there were some guys hired uh, that looked kind of like this. If we got the picture, can we show them? Yeah. Broke out the Hollywood makeup and horns for uh, this outreach. And these lovely, friendly gentlemen would kindly escort people until into their eternal destination if their life didn't measure up. And so did I mention that I have a slight bit of baggage from this experience? And so because this was a play, a play obviously needs actors and actresses. And I was younger at this time. And uh, I was young to the point where my only two real realistic uh, job opportunities in life were going to be one, be a very rich and famous athlete, basketball or football, dealer's choice, I didn't really care. But my first career was going to be a professional athlete. And if that didn't pan out, my second career choice was going to be a very rich and famous actor. And so I thought, this is a play. They need actors. Here I am, and maybe there is an opportunity that there is a Disney Channel, I don't know, like recruiter or a Nickelodeon recruiter in the audience, and they will see me in my brilliance, and I will have my breakout role, my breakout moment, and I will live my dream. So honestly, I was just keeping my opportunities open by um, auditioning, and I auditioned, killed it. I was well on the way um, to becoming a movie star as my second choice. And so my scene that I was assigned, and so the way this play worked, you kind of got the, the feel of the stage, heaven, judgment, angel, bad place. And um, the, way, the way that the stage or the play worked was that there was a bunch of different scenes, like 10 or 11 different scenes where people were living out, I don't know, like there's construction workers, Oh, this is going to sound so dark, so stick with me here. That like fell off the top of a building. Um, they were like just a bunch of different like scenarios. And my scenario that I was in, I was with a, my sister, another uh, actress girl, and um, we would always go to church. We loved church. We were these great and amazing kids. And uh, we would always be inviting our friends to church. I guess we were a little, a little older because our friends could drive. Um, but we were always inviting our friends to church. And we were like, hey, come to church with us. And they're like, no. And we're like, oh, you're missing out, man. Like, we're at this crazy play. And it's awesome. Like, come to church. And, uh, and they were just like, no. And so this, as the scene went, one day I got out of church and I called my friend to come pick my sister and I up. And as he picked us up, we were leaving the parking lot. And bam. We get into this car accident, and the lights on the stage go dark, and when we wake up, we are standing in this room facing eternity, facing a giant angel and a red arch and a white arch, and I remember kind of how it goes. I'm not kidding. Like, I can close my eyes and like see this playing out. It, it seriously scarred me so bad. Um, I remember as a little kid like being like, okay, like I am an actor. I know I'm an actor. I know this isn't real. Why is my pulse? Like, why is my heart beating out of my chest right now? And um, and I remember like my friend who didn't know Jesus was like walking around. And he's like, what is this place? Like, oh my gosh. And so after a little dialogue, we look to the angel who has the book, and we're like, hey, is is our name? in that book you have and it searches and it searches and it finds like uh it finds my sister's name and she goes into heaven and my friend asks and it he says is my name in there and the angel doesn't find his name and the stage goes dark and red lights come up and and literally strobe lights start flashing and darth maul comes out on stage 
and kindly escorts my friend into the red paper mache lake of fire. And while this was a play, I'll never forget, I was I, literally, if this was the stage, I was standing right here. I remember so vividly in that moment a fear of eternity that was imprinted so deeply into the layers of my soul. I, I, I remember I had this fear of eternity that, that marked me standing on that play. I literally could stand in the exact same spot if I went back to that church. It marked me with this, this horrible fear of things that are still to come. And for years, it distorted my view of God and eternity and my relationship with Jesus. And I remember I would have these nightmares, like literally I would have these nightmares where I would wake up in a dead sweat and, and there would be Darth Mauls like dragging my family and my friends and my loved one into this lake of fire. And I was so terrified. It marked me forever and for years throughout middle school and high school and even in college like subliminally fear became the foundation of my relationship with Jesus and with my relationship with eternity fear became the foundation of my relationship and I honestly was terrified terrified of eternity. And this fear that I had, it robbed me of years of the power that is available to a Christian to go out and to crush life, to go out and make disciples and live a life of faith and live a life of hope and, 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 and bring healing to broken hearts. It robbed me of this opportunity because everything that I did was based off of a fear of what eternity held. This fear crippled my confidence and what the cross of Jesus Christ actually achieved for me. This fear absolutely crippled me. And, and I don't know if any of you guys like growing up played this game, but I honestly had this thought. It gave me anxiety that if I were to mess up in sin and then die without getting a chance to be like, God, forgive me, like Darth Maul's coming, man, and I am toast. You know what I mean? I had this fear. And so as a kid, if I ever were like slip up and like hit my sister, or, like curse or something, I'm going to be like, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. I don't want to like, if I forget to say it, I am screwed. You know what I mean? And so it, it, it destroyed my confidence in what the cross of Jesus Christ actually accomplished for my life. And, and I don't know if anybody else kind of grew up in church, but every week my church did a salvation call. Either I raise your hand or come down front. Best believe Connor was sprinting down front every single week. If there was a hand raise, mine was the highest because I was guaranteeing that I dotted all my I's, crossed all my T's. I am not going with Darth Maul to the paper mache like a fire, if you know what I mean. But the thought of having any sort of confidence or any sort of expectation for my future, for, for eternity, in my relationship with Jesus was so, so foreign to me. And for years, I spent a lot of my life as a Christian just making sure that I played it 
real, real safe. I didn't think I could actually have the ability to take hold of the promises of God. I didn't think that I could take hold of salvation, embrace his promises, embrace his goodness, embrace everything that God had for me for years because fear was the foundation of my relationship with Jesus in eternity. I was not walking in a life of power. I was not walking in a life of discipleship making. I wasn't walking in the life that Jesus had offered. But because fear was my foundation for my relationship with Jesus, all I wanted to do was live live a life where I checked off enough boxes to where maybe I hoped that I could kind of slide through the back door of heaven when that day came totally unnoticed and, you know, barely make it in. You know what I'm saying? And I think if we're honest in here, I think there's a lot of us, myself included, that Oftentimes, because there is this reality of eternity, because there is this reality that everything that we see, taste, smell, experience here isn't the full story, because there is this reality of eternity, we don't live our life with confidence. We don't live our life with confidence when it comes to eternity. But 1 John 4 tells us that we can actually have a confidence when it comes to the day of judgment. We can actually stand confident because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We don't have to live our life in fear. We don't have to live our life playing small. We don't have to live our life on the sideline. We can actually have confidence. But I feel like a lot of us, myself included, we don't run our race to win. We don't actually like run our, our race to win. We don't run our race to take hold of the things that God has promised us to, to own these promises. We run our race in a way to where we're not trying to win, but we really just hope we don't come in last place. Am I right? We don't run our race to win. We just kind of run in a way to where we hope beyond hope that we just don't come in last place. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, I'm just going to read it real quick. It says this, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run in a way to get the prize. Did you know that the promise of eternity for the Christian, for the, for the follower of Jesus, the promise for eternity was made to fuel the human soul into a passionate, powerful, loving relationship with Jesus Christ where we look to what is to come with anticipation and joy and actually desire that day and not live in fear of it. The promise of God, the promise of heaven, the promise of no more tears, no more pain, no more cancer, no more sickness, no more death. The promise where God is actually going to dwell physically with his people in that city. That promise was made to to absolutely empower our life so that when we get to heaven, we can kick down the doors of the pearly gates, bringing as many people as physically possible. And we can share stories of God's faithfulness. We can share stories of all the amazing things that God used us to accomplish because because of our confidence and our eternity, we no longer had a fear of death, so nothing on this earth could stop us. The promise of eternity was made to be a shot of adrenaline to the life of a Christian, to the human soul, that there is more than we could have ever imagined. Eternity wasn't something to be feared, but something to be desired, to hope for, and to pray for. 
And, and I want to tell you something because this is my reality. This was my reality for years. The enemy of your soul wants nothing more than for you to be terrified at the thought of eternity because this is why. When you are afraid of eternity, you're calculating every move, you're calculating every step, and it, you begin to become paralyzed, and you live life without power. The enemy of your soul, if he cannot keep you from a loving, grace-filled relationship that is freely offered to you through Jesus Christ, he wants to make sure that you play as small as possible. He wants to make sure you stay sidelined. He wants to make sure that you live in fear of what is to come. Because this is the reality. He knows that that, that lake of, of fire, whatever, he knows that that was never intended for a human being to partake in. He knows that that is for him. And if he can get you to be afraid, you, he can make you as ineffective as possible on this earth. But the power of a Christian, the power to run our race, to actually win the prize, to take hold of salvation, to take hold of his promises comes from when we embrace eternity, eternity and let it empower Power our life. We let it power our life. We were never given this to fear, but it was supposed to establish a confidence, a faith, a hope, an expectation for us. Maybe you're sitting in here tonight and you're sitting in your chair and you're wondering how in the world, how in the world do I, do I embrace this reality of eternity? How in the world do I embrace this, this reality of eternity? How is eternity supposed to give me faith and not, and not lay, like lay to me with fear? How is eternity supposed to give me hope and not give me anxiety? How is it supposed to fuel my soul? And I love this concept. I love this question because the idea that eternity doesn't paralyze us with fear, but it empowers our life to give us faith for what is to come. I love it. This concept is so strong that God literally gives us an entire chapter in the Bible to encourage us in this. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to necessarily um, read straight up. I'm going to just kind of jump around a little bit. And Ben, if you guys can make your way on up, not taking long, just getting straight to the point. Um, Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read from the message. But I want to talk about how the hope of eternity actually was given to us to empower a life of faith. The hope of eternity was given to us to strengthen us, to run our race, to win the prize, to take ground, to take ground from Satan, to, to kick down the doors of hell and say, I don't know what you're doing here, but I'm here now and this is mine. So get out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 8. It says this. By an act of faith, Abraham said yes to God's call to travel to an unknown place that would become his home. When, when he left, he had no idea where he was going, but by an act of faith, he lived in a country promised to him. He lived as a stranger, camping in tents. Isaac and Jacob did the same, living under the same promise. Now get this. This is amazing. Abraham did it by keeping his eyes on an unseen city with real and eternal foundations, the city designed and built by God. Abraham 
one of the founders of our faith, very early in the Bible. He gets this call from, from God, from Jesus, that says, hey, I want you to come follow me. And Abraham says, okay, where am I going to go? And he says, I'm not going to tell you because I want you to have faith. I want you to have faith and that no matter where I tell you to go, it's going to be good. And so Abraham literally followed this God and what got him through the hard times, it said, is that he had his eyes set on a city whose foundation and builder is God. Eternity empowered Abraham to live a life of radical faith right here, right now. It says in verse 11 and 12, by faith, Baron Sarah was able to become pregnant, old woman as she was at the time, because she believed in the one who made a promise that he would do what he said. And I love other translations of this. It said, because she counted him faithful who promised. Because she had this hope, this faith. And it says, that's how it happened. From one man's thank you message translation, dead and shriveled loins. There are now people numbering into the millions. Each one of these people of faith died. Get this. These people of faith died, not yet having what was promised, but still believing. What does that mean? These people of faith died, not yet have obtained this city. They haven't yet obtained the place where, where, where God is with his people forever and there's no more tears and there's no more death because Jesus has to come back for that. But these people, this faith that spurred them, eternity that spurred on their life was this hope that one day they would see this city. It says, how did these people do this? If they had not yet received the promise, but they still believed, it said they saw it way off in a distance. And they waved their greeting and accepted the fact that they were transient in this world, that they didn't belong here, that this world didn't have a hold on them. This wasn't the kingdom that they operated in. They knew that. They accepted that. And they greeted God's promises from a distance. I love that. And it says people that live this way make it very plain that they're looking for a home, their true home, which is eternity. This is, this is awesome. If we were homesick for the old country, we could have gone back anytime we wanted, but I love this. They were after a far better country. That is a heaven country. So you can see why God is so proud of them and has a city waiting for them. It goes on to talk about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses of Israel's faith crossing the Red Sea and, and the faith of Rahab who hid the spies and then became a part of God's community. And it picks back up in 32. It says this, I could go on and on and on, but I've run out of time. There are so many more, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. Through acts of faith, they toppled kingdoms. They made justice work. Get this, they took the promises for themselves. They were protected from lions, fires, sword thrusts, turned disadvantage into advantage, won battles, routed alien armies. Women received their loved ones back from the dead. Oh, this one gets me every time. There were those who were under torture but they refused to give in and go free. They refused to deny the name of Jesus, the God that had called them, because they preferred something better. Resurrection. Think about that. Think about being so convinced of the goodness of God that you are being tortured, you are being mistreated. These people endured some of the darkest, darkest parts that humanity is capable of. 
uh, of torturing and exposing somebody, but the promise of eternity with Jesus was so real to them that they said, I, I can't deny it. My hope isn't in escaping this in this life. I have a hope for something else, and that is when I die, I am not going to be dead forever, but I will come back with Jesus. Resurrection, eternity is my hope. It says others braved abuse and whips and yes, chains and dungeons. We have stories of those that were stoned, sawed into, murdered in cold blood, stories of vagrants wandering the earth and animal skins, homeless, friendless, powerless. The world did not deserve them. They were making their best that they could on the cruel edges of the world. Now get this, this is insane. Not one of these people even through their lives of faith were exemplary, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what God had promised. Why? Because God had a better plan. And look what it says for us. Get this, that their faith, that, that their hope in eternity, their, their desire for a better city, their desire for what God had that fueled their life to run their race, their faith would come together with our faith. That, that their stories, that their journeys of how they trusted God, of their stories of how they were mistreated and abused and, and weren't treated right, but they had their eyes set on something nobody else could see, those stories will then come together with our stories about how we took ground, about how we preached Jesus, about how we went into our office, we went into our family rooms, we went wherever we could to get the good news out, and their faith will combine with our faith and make one completed whole. Their lives of faith will not be complete without ours. And these people that we read about, Abraham, Moses, Isaac, David, these people that we read about, they did not live these lives of faith out of fear of the other side, out of fear of the repercussions of what happened if they didn't. But what they did, empowered by the reality that there is something after this life and that it is good for those that put their faith in Jesus, empowered by the reality of heaven and eternity and a place where there is no more fear, no more tears, no more sin, empowered Empowered by faith, empowered by eternity. They took hold of God's promises and they lived a life of radical obedience that shook the world. And when we grasp this concept of that our life can be empowered by eternity and we don't have to fear what is on the other side. It changes everything when temptation comes knocking on your door, when lust, when fear, when greed, when lying, when, when stepping down on people or talking bad about people faces you. You can look it in the eye and say, honestly, you have nothing you can offer me because my eyes are set on a city whose builder and founder is Jesus. My eyes are on a promise greater than what you have. And eternity empowers our walk with God. And that is how we as Christians should look to eternity. Not with fear. Not with dread. Not with something paralyzing us. A, a fear of barely making it in. Man, I'm tired of living a life where I just barely you know, get through heaven's gates. I want to kick that thing wide open with a room 80,000 times this size, bringing as many people as possible with confidence that on that day I can stand confidently in Christ. Would you guys stand with me as we close this out? Maybe you're in here tonight and maybe you're where I was at 
a couple years back where my relationship with Jesus was, all, my only goal was to not go to hell. I, I had no expectation that God could do something amazing in my life right now. I had zero expectation that, that eternity could actually fuel a life of faith. I thought eternity was meant to scare me into obedience, but it actually is adrenaline to a life of faith. Maybe you're in here tonight, and when I was reading through Revelation 20, if you're just being totally honest, that evoked some fear in you. You weren't, you weren't sure of, of if that day were to ever come, and you had to give an account for your life in front of God, what you would say, who, what you would do. But I can assure you, like 1 John said, that if you are in Christ, you can approach that day with confidence. And I, and I don't know how this is going to play out. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I've always kind of pictured it this way in my head. I imagine standing before this, this great throne with a book and with God the Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus standing there asking me to give an account for my life. And all I can muster is the name of Jesus. All I got. All I got is Jesus. All I got is the blood that Jesus poured out for me. That's the only way I'm getting it. It's the only way any of us can approach eternity with confidence. And so tonight, if you are in here and you do not know Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to where you can look forward to a day when you will spend every waking moment of forever in the presence of a God who loves you so much. He's not out to condemn you. He's not out to belittle you. He's not out to make you afraid. He wants to empower your life. He wants to give you grace. He wants to give you hope and a future. He wants to give all the promises of God being a yes and an amen through Jesus to your life. That is the goodness of the God we serve. And you might be sitting in your seat right now and being like, that makes no sense because I have done absolutely nothing to deserve that. And I would say that is actually literally the entire point of the gospel is that while we were dead in our trespasses, God, because he's love, came down as a baby and grew up as a man perfect and sinless and was crucified to a cross on our behalf. And so that wrath that we read about was actually put on Jesus on the cross so that as a believer, you can approach that day saying, I'm free, I'm good to go because Jesus stood in my place. And you can look God in the eye and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest that I have for you. Tonight, if that's you and you wanna put your faith in Jesus, with every eye open and every head up, I wanna give you an opportunity to raise your hand. Raising your hand does nothing to save you. It is literally just an act of, of, of faith. But if you raise your hand tonight, what you're saying is, Jesus, I'm not perfect. I might not have this whole thing figured out, but I wanna put my trust in you that for eternity, when I stand to give an account, I can look towards you and you got my back. You got me covered and I will be good. Jesus, I wanna be a follower of you. If that is you on the count of three, one, Jesus loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine. Two, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Three, would you please lift your hand if you wanna accept Jesus as your savior. You wanna know what's awesome? As the Bible says, heaven, the place where you will spend eternity is throwing a party for you right now because they've been wanting you to come home for a long time. 
you, you've made the best decision in your life. And listen, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to play that game where every sin that you might commit from here on out, you got to pray real quick or you're going to go to hell. You are sealed. The Bible says that those who are in God's hands, no one can snatch them out. You're good. You're good. Maybe you're in here tonight and you've been a follower of Jesus, but when I talked about my relationship with him being based off fear, the foundation of fear, maybe you related to that. Maybe as a Christian, as a Christian, you, you're like, man, I still kind of wrestle with that. Am I good enough? Am I bad enough? We're about to sing a song called Tremble. And I love it. I think it's so perfect because these are some of the lines in the song that it says. It says, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, you silence my fear. And, and there's a reality that the name of Jesus evokes a response from both heaven and hell. And everything on earth shakes and everything in eternity shakes at the mention of the name and Satan and his demons and all the darkest parts of hell bow their knee to the name of Jesus. And when Jesus comes on the scene, hell shakes. Satan shakes, and we don't have to live in fear because he is in fear of the name of Jesus. And the Bible says all Jesus does is speak, and Satan's defeated. If that's you tonight, I want you to proclaim this song over your life that Jesus makes the darkness tremble and you can stand in confidence because he silences your fear. Can we pray? Jesus, we love you so much. God, what a crazy offer you give to us that we could look forward to eternity that we could look forward and be empowered by the fact that eternity is a place where we will be with you forever. It doesn't have to be this place that scares us or evokes fear in our heart, but you want it to be a thing we look forward to to live a life of boldness because we will not fear death. God, I pray that as we sing this song, we would declare the promise that the name of Jesus secures us. It gives us confidence on the day of judgment and it makes the depths of hell shake with fear because of your holiness, your goodness, and your righteousness and nothing can come against the name of Jesus. God, I pray right now that as we worship, it would just be a sweet, sweet offering to you. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.